you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we're finishing our study of the book of Ephesians, and then we'll begin our summer study through the parables. So today we finish up with a, a, a portion of scripture where it's called the final exhortation from Paul to his people. And so we find ourselves in verses 10 through the end of the chapter. Because we are believers in Christ and we have new life in him, we ought to live a life through the Holy Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul has been talking to us and and teaching us. And so we come to a place where, again, he's trying to exhort us, and especially Christians, of this is how we therefore shall live. And a lot of times when we look at this passage, this is actually a passage that isn't preached on very often uh, because a lot of people don't think that it's very relevant Um, Because people think that this is uh, something to to kind of be made light of in some ways because we think of Satan or the devil uh, very lightly. Um, We make fun of it. We have this little red devil that sits on people's shoulders in cartoons or whatever. He's pictured in uh, many TV shows. We deal with evil like it's not a big deal. Um, He's even in commercials. And so he's selling products for the American people. And so we make light of who the devil is, but one of the pastors said this in regard to this passage, he says, we don't stroll onto a playground, we are brought onto a battlefield. And so we need to make sure that we have put ourselves in a position to be prepared for battle. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this passage this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then praying at all times in the spirit with all power, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and how I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word again, Lord, we know that it's the Holy Spirit that brought us the word. And so now we ask that he would give it to us and enlighten our hearts and our minds. Lord, change us to look more like our Savior. So teach us. Train us and equip us to fight the battle that you've sent us into. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So he gives very specific categories that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be strong, stand firm, and pray in the spirit. 
And so he tells us to be strong in the first place. So why does he tell us to be strong in regards to knowing who we are and how this battle is going? Well, the first thing we need to know is we need to know our enemy. And so we need to understand his nature. We need to take Satan seriously. He does want to seek our destruction. Kent Hughes says this, Satan has no conscience, he has no compassion, he has no remorse, and he has no morals. He feeds on pain, he feeds on anguish, and he feeds on filth. That's Satan, and he seeks to destroy us. And he seeks to destroy us, and he seeks to destroy our faith specifically in who who we are in Christ. And so he's sitting and he goes around and we know that sometimes he's like a roaring lion, but sometimes he comes across as even a friend. Sometimes he he comes across as an angel of light. We know Jesus dealt with, remember, Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. So there's times where, again, we're not even aware of it, and yet Satan's sitting there and he's trying to destroy us. He's trying to destroy our faith. But we also, even though we have to take him seriously, we don't need to give him any more power than he already has. He is a created being. So Satan is God's Satan. So he is only allowed to do what God allows him to do. But we need to be aware of his nature that he's going around seeking to destroy us. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does it by schemes. And if you were to see the schemes that he has, if you were to just open up the book of Acts and look at Acts chapter 4 through 6, you will see that this is where the disciples go before the council. Um, because they're not doing what they're supposed to do according to the world. It's Ananias, uh, Ananias and Sapphira where they lie to the Holy Spirit about the money that they've gotten from their sale of their land. And then there's the complaints within the church. That's Acts chapter, chapters 4 through 6. So Satan is trying to always do this for us. He's trying to conform us to the world. He's trying to get us to compromise who we are in Christ. And he's trying to bring division within the ranks of the church. That's true today. So Satan is about these schemes and he's always trying to delude us or distract us. Now, again, if we're honest, the people who are sitting here, okay, you're like the super Christians today, right? Because the the temptation was, hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's a nice day and it's being streamed online. Let's just sit at home. Relax. We don't need to be here. Now, if you are not saying that was not a temptation to you, then you are a better Christian than I am. Because I'm the pastor and still wanted to do that. But there's that temptation, right? There's the distraction. Because, again, it's so easy for us to start to feel like we are the church of one. We're to be here, not just to, to hear the sermon, not just to, to see the, the worship service be brought in up here. We're to be here to encourage one another, to build one another up. We're supposed to be about fellowship. We're supposed to be about ministry. And so God uses all of us as the church to come, but yet he's always trying to distract us. He's always trying us to get of thinking of, about ourselves. So again, he, he, he's always trying to elude and distract us from what's really important. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, first of all, know your enemy, but know where the battle's going to happen. And he says that the, the battle's going to happen in the heavenly realms. 
Now, again, we have to be very careful here because we understand it's spiritual nature. It's not a political, it's not an, uh, an economic kind of battle that we're going to. It's not even a physical battle that we're dealing with with Satan. It's a spiritual battle. But it says the spiritual battles happen in the heavenly realms. Now, I want you to understand what that kind of goes against. If you go back to chapter 1 in the book of Ephesians, it says that that's where God is doing the ministry. He's also doing the ministry in the heavenly realm. So there's blessing and there's problems that are happening up in the, in the heavens. But there is one thing very distinctive that Paul says to us. Christ is seated above all. So he is seated, which means he's, the, the battle, the war, the, the war itself is over. Christ has won the war on the cross. We understand that we still go through battles, but he's won the war. But he sits at God's right hand. So he's no longer having to do anything. And when Christ comes back, he doesn't come back to win anything else. He comes back as the victor. He comes back on his war horse. And it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so we have to recognize that Christ is the one who is taking care of all things. But there is an earthly reality. So even though the battle um, is, is still ongoing, there's still bloody skirmishes, right? When D-Day happened, we look back and we go, well, in essence, the war was over. They still had to get through France. They still had to get all the way to Germany. And a lot of people died. There were a lot of battles. And so even though Christ has won the war, the battle still rages. And so Apostle Paul is telling us, hey, I want you to understand, here are realities. And again, we saw it in, a couple of weeks ago. There's conflicts within our marriages. There's conflicts within our families, with our children. There's conflicts within the workplaces. And there's conflicts within the church. Why? Because we're still dealing with our sinful natures. We're still having to take off our old nature and put on Christ. And so we have these battles that are still going. And so he says, hey, be strengthened and encouraged. That's what we're to do. But where do we find our strength and courage? It says we find our strength in the Lord. So it's to him that we run to. For we find our strength in the Lord, in his might, and then we put on his armor. See, we go to Christ. We're supposed to be found in Christ. Keep our eyes focused upon Christ. And as we keep it our focus, then it's his might that we go into the battle with. And it's his armor. Because here is the truth of it. There is no satanic attack that is stronger than the armor of God. There is nothing that can penetrate the armor that he's given to us. And there's nothing that he can do that can prevail over the church. So even as messed up as we are, even as hypocritical as we are, God still uses us amazingly to build his kingdom. How does he do that? It's called grace and mercy. And the quicker we are to ask for forgiveness and to give forgiveness, the more real the gospel becomes to those around us. And so we have to do all of this in the might of God to be strong. But then he tells us to stand firm. Once we have the armor and we place it upon ourselves, he tells us to stand firm. Now, again, what is the armor? 
Now, one pastor talks about this and he says the first three things that are mentioned are things that are attached to our body. They are things that we are to use in battle all the time. And so the first thing we have is the belt of truth. So again, the, the people would have worn tunic, tunics during this period. And so they would have had to gird up their loins, which means they would have had to, in, just to give you a true accurate picture, it would have seemed like a diaper. Okay, they would have taken up their tunic and they would have put it through their belt. So the belt had to be um, something that was tight enough for their, to make it look like they were in shorts or any kind of hard work they did or any battle that they went into, they had to make sure that they were uncumbered. And so God is telling us that we are to gird up our loins with the belt of truth. And truth, listen, is of utmost importance. That's why it's the number one thing. Because if we do not believe the truth, if we don't keep the truth of God close to us, then we have nothing, we have no sure footing. We're going to find ourselves being tripped up. It's to help us keep protected and agile in the midst of the battle. So it's in sincerity of the inward parts. It's truth that we have and we believe. The second thing we have is a breastplate of righteousness. And this is the thing that is supposed to protect our vital organs. Now, as such, it means that Satan comes here with accusations. And so there's a question of what this righteousness is talking about. Is it the imputed righteousness of Christ, where we have Christ's righteousness given to us, where he lived the perfect life that we couldn't? And so we therefore are righteous because when God sees us, he sees Jesus? Or is it practical righteousness? Is it holy living? It's probably the imputed righteousness of Christ. Why? Because Satan comes and attacks us and he attacks our vital organs of saying, why would God love you? Look at, look at how you live your life. You're worthless. Why would God die for you? Look at how you still live your life. Look, look at how you compromise. God doesn't love you. So we have our, our belt of truth, and the truth is found in the scripture. We have to believe the scripture that those who are in Christ are found to be righteous, that it doesn't matter what we've done. It's all been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our surety. That's our hope. And so we have this protection in our heart, but then we also have the boots of peace. Now, boots were make sure that we had sure footing, but it was said that it was for the spreading, ultimately, of the gospel. See, we have to be at peace with God. We have to recognize the truth of the gospel. And what do we have to do with the gospel, the scripture says? Preach to ourselves every day. Why? Because if we don't, we, two extremes happen. We either become self-righteous. And we begin to look down on everybody else. I would never do that. Those people, and be careful when you say those words, those people. So we become self-righteous and we begin to look down on other people. Or we become to the other extreme and we beat ourselves up again. And we, I mean, again, I come from a, a Southern Baptist background. So how many times have I said the believer's prayer? How many times have I gone down an aisle? Lots. And always for the right reasons. Sometimes I was in a small church, so I wanted to go to lunch. You can only listen to so many Just As I Am songs. So who's going to go down the aisle? And we wouldn't start making things like, it's your week. You got to go down. Horrible. 
And yet God still loves me. But see, we can beat ourselves up. And God says, no, the gospel has been set for us. We know the truth. We know the righteousness. So now go and tell others about the truth of the gospel message. The last three are things that we put on as we come into the battle. So we have the shield of faith. See, Satan's always trying to tempt us to put our faith in something else. He's always trying to get us to to believe in something else, whether it's our money, whether it's our career, whether it's our family, whether it's our church. There can be things that we can put our faith into that we look to to say, this is where I find my salvation. And God says, no, the only way that we find our salvation is in the shield that he gives to us. And it says that there's fiery darts that are being assaults. And so he's trying to affect our minds. He's always questioning our motives and our abilities. He's always trying to get us to question. And yet our faith has to be in Christ alone. And so we hold the shield as we go against the attacks. Then we put on the helmet of salvation. And this is where he says, this is where close combat would have happened. So you're not dealing with just arrows coming from far away, but now you're talking about close combat. And so the attacks of Satan begins to come in. And so we have to have the assurance of faith. We need to trust God. And again, that's easy to say, hard to do. But when we trust God, when you truly trust God, you stop being timid. Let me give you a true life example. As as a coach for football many years ago now, um, one of the things I used to tell my my players, don't hit someone else timidly. Because when you do, that's when you get hurt. If you're going to go hit someone, go to try to knock them out. I know in this day and age, I would be set. We got to remove the coach. He's trying to kill people. No, you hit them as hard as you can. Why? Because if you're timid, that's when you get hurt the most. You have to be all into the tackle. And so when we find ourselves timid, then what happens is we find ourselves being timid in the fight. And we start to question, well, should I trust God? Should I not trust God? Oh, I don't know. And we start to second guess things. Go boldly. Trust God. Don't start to dissect your faith. Don't dissect it. Believe it and trust in him. And then the last thing he gives us is the sword. Now, again, this can be both a defensive, but it's also the one offensive weapon that we're given. Now, again, if you ever go into battle, you don't go in just to simply have people hit you. The armor's good, but you don't just go to sit there to let people shoot arrows at you and go, I didn't pierce that time. Keep them coming. Please hit me with your sword. Please strike me with your your bows. Strike strike me with whatever you might have. Because I don't have a sword, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here. No. He says we've been given a sword to fight. And that sword is the word of God. So no matter how sturdy the armor, we're always supposed to enter the battle with a weapon. And listen, we're always supposed to be marching onward. This um, protection that he's given to us in the armor does not protect our backs. Hmm. 
We're always supposed to be moving forward. If you talk to anybody in the military, the best strategy is not to sit there and let the enemy come to you. If you do that, you will be destroyed. We have to go on the offensive. And it says even in scripture that we are to to go even to the gates of hell itself and it will not prevail against us. And so we march forward. But how do we march forward? With the word of God. Now, again, there's two words that the scripture uses in regards to the word of God, the word of the Lord. One is logos. And it's the word that's used of Christ, where he is the word of God. He is the logos. And it's, a, it's the most important word, but that's not what's used here. What, the word that's used here is rhema. And rhema means specifically a portion of scripture or a specific part of scripture. So it doesn't mean that we're just supposed to have kind of the, the word of the Lord generally. He's saying we're supposed to know the word of the Lord specifically. To go into the battle that we have. Psalm 119.11 says this. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what we can't have is a closed Bible. We need to know the word. We need to memorize the word. We need to be reading the word. And again, I'm not trying to beat you up. And I'm not trying to say, hey, if you haven't been, then God somehow doesn't love you anymore. Pick up and read. God is always telling us, start where you are. Don't be beat up. Don't let Satan discourage you. But we need to know the word and we need to be in the word. And we need to study the word and memorize the word so that when we are in the situations, we're in the midst of the battle, our sword is readily available. You don't need to go in there and go, well, where did I put my sword? Have it available and ready to use at all times. And so he says, hey, Put on the armory, take the weapon, the word of God. But then the last thing he tells us is to pray in the spirit. Now, why does he tell us to do that? We're to be in the spirit because that's where we find our power. So the spirit is the one who knows the mind of God and knows the very thoughts in our heads. He's the one who even speaks for us. Remember when we can't have the words, when we don't know what to say, the spirit does and he communicates for us. And so the the more that we are led by the spirit, and we talked about that, the difference between it's not the pouring of the pitcher into the glass, it's the picture of the hand in the glove. The Holy Spirit uses us and leads us. And as the spirit leads us, then he brings us closer to what we're supposed to be. Let me give you an example. Um, This was used in uh, Paul Miller's book. When you use a boat hook, do you pull the boat to the dock or do you pull the dock to the boat? You pull the boat to the dock. So the more that we're in the word, the more that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to move us and lead us, we're becoming more and more in line with what God wants us to do. And so our prayers change. Our ministry changes because it becomes more of how do we glorify and honor Christ in what we do and what we say and what we think. And so he's pulling us closer. And then the Holy Spirit, remember, is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's not Jesus' Holy Spirit and then your Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit. And that same Spirit gives us power. And he gives us power to do what? The first thing he gives us to do is to understand love, true love. Because again, we don't get love. We say we do, but we really don't. 
Because again, and I've used this example before, forgive me for using it again, but again, I love a lot of people in this room. I would give money. I would give time. I would give effort, but I would not give my children. Not for any one of you. And so the love that God loves us by giving his son for us is beyond comprehension. And it's the spirit that applies that. He is the conduit of of love. It says his love is incorruptible. Perfect. And so what happens is when our love for God becomes more compelling than our love for sin. So we find ourselves saying no to things. We find ourselves saying yes to things that maybe we're hesitant about. And so we begin to, to live in the spirit. And so Paul says, but ask the spirit to do very, two very specific things. The first thing is, is to be about preaching. So we need to be about the gospel. And we need to be about preaching the gospel without compromise. Harry Reader was talking about uh, this in the sermon, and he was saying how quickly the church has gone to compromise in regards to trying to grow. And he says, then what happens is you say, oh, well, we need to grow by, by this category. We need to grow by this category. Well, how do we get those people in? So we begin to compromise the gospel message so that people might feel welcome. And he said, one person said to him, Harry, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. And he said, I'd rather be on the wrong side of history, but on the right side with God. See, the church doesn't go around by the world's standards. We're supposed to hold true to the gospel and we need to proclaim the gospel a message without compromise. See, we're supposed to be praying for the mission, the message and the ministry of the church that we might be found faithful to the call that we've gotten always remaining true, always standing firm, praying in the spirit that we might never compromise what we've been called to. And as such, then we are to go out boldly. He says, may I preach this boldly? Remember, Paul's in prison. Paul's chained to one of these soldiers. He knows what he's talking about when he's seeing the armor. And he's saying, I need to be bold as I go forth. Dr. Chapel said this in the regards to this passage. He said he had a young daughter as they were at one of the Thanksgiving family uh, reunion things, and they were out playing soccer. And as they were playing soccer, this, this little daughter was finding herself being run over by the bigger kids and found herself at one point just quitting, giving up, and left and walked off the field. So what did Brian Chapel do? He picked up his daughter, went back into the game, and began to hold her and play soccer. And he said, now what did this do for his daughter? She wanted to play with greater zeal. Because she was bold. She was bold because she was in her daddy's arm. And when we understand that, when we go to our father, when we're in Christ, when we pray in the spirit, we can be bold. We can have greater zeal for God. Why? Because we're in our father's arms. And so we pray that we are bold in our preaching. And then the second thing Paul tells us to pray for is for people. 
First of all, he says, pray for all the people, all the saints. Pray for everyone, everywhere. And again, that is our call, the general call. We're supposed to be praying for the church, big picture. We're supposed to be praying for the missionaries down in Haiti. We're supposed to be praying for the people, our brothers and sisters in China, those who are in Africa. We're supposed to be praying for everywhere, everyone. But he's also talking to pray for some who are going to be faithful ones. And he says, I'm sending back to you our friend, and he's going to give you an update. He's going to encourage you. See, we are to come alongside one another. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. Again, I'm I'm asking you not to pray that we get bigger just for number's sakes. I want the right people to come to Northside. Be careful how you pray. We want the right people. We want the people who are in love with Jesus. We want the people who are going out and bringing in non-Christians. But not just bringing in non-Christians, we want to disciple them. So things have to be in place. We need to get healthy. And as we get healthy, we begin to see ourselves being prepared for the battle. And so he calls us, church, be encouraged Be prepared. Stand firm. Pray in the Spirit. And then watch God move. Watch Him change lives. It's an awesome thing to see. So let's pray that we would do what the Apostle Paul has exhorted us to do. Heavenly Father, Lord, especially on this Memorial Day, this Memorial Day weekend, Lord, it's amazing how you bring your word and your timing and your providence to come to pass. And so, Father, we're not sent out to a playground. We're sent to a battlefield. And against a foe that is far stronger than us, far smarter than us, And seeks to destroy us in our faith in you. And so, Father, in and of ourselves, we would fail. Except that you give to us your armor, your might, your power. And so, Father, let us be diligent to put on the armor daily. Lord, that we wouldn't think of this as a joke. Lord, that we wouldn't make light of the situation. But Lord, that we would recognize that we are in the midst of a battle and a battle that has everlasting consequences. And so, Father, do prepare us to send forth a gospel message, Lord. There are people within our neighborhoods. There's people at our places of business. There's people within our extended families who need to hear the gospel message. And yet, Lord, a lot of times we're too timid and afraid worried about what they might think or what they might say, worried that we might lose a friendship or we might lose our jobs. Father, let us be so trusting of you and your righteousness and your goodness and mercy and grace that we walk into the battle boldly, knowing that we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, let us be bold Increase our zeal and our desire to have you known. And Lord, allow us to come alongside one another for encouragement to build one another up in the Lord. 
And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that even as messed up as we are, you use this church. Let us be quick to forgive, quick to ask for forgiveness, and quick to give mercy and grace. And Lord, then when we begin to love one another the way that Christ loved his church, people will see that there's something different and they'll be drawn to you. So Father, hear our prayer. May we apply this scripture lesson. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and we thank you for those Ephesians who've gone before us. All the stories I'll tell when one day we're with them in heaven. And so Father, protect us Lead us and guide us into the battle that's ahead of us. For we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.